Our text today is Hebrews chapter 20, chapter 10, verses 26 through 31. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 31. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a, fi and a fury of fire that will consume the adversary. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. May the Lord bless the reading of his word today. If you've been following along with us in the book of Hebrews, you will remember from the last section that we had in the book of Hebrews, we learned about uh, the great advantage that you and I have as believers because of who Christ is, because of what Christ has done, because of his once-for-all sacrifice, because of his broken body and his shed blood, that we learned last time that we have access to and confidence to enter into the most holy place. And we also learn that we have a responsibility as believers because of what Christ has done for us to enter in. The author of Hebrews exhorted us because of this confidence that we have, because of the access we have in relation to what Christ has done, we ought to enter into the presence of the Lord. And we also learned that there were several responsibilities that we had in relation to our own personal walk as well as our relationship to the body of Christ. And we learned that we need to be exhorting one another as it, as as it is the day is coming exhorting one another to love and and good works and we do that primarily in the corporate worship context as the bible reminded us last time not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as is the habit of some so because of what christ done we ought to come together as a body of believers we ought to enter into the presence of god we ought to exhort one another stir one another up to love and to good works and there if you remember the author of hebrews reminded us of this because of and he exhorted us exhorted us of this because of the coming day of the lord and he says in light of this coming day of judgment we ought to do this all the more and i think that's what led to this this paragraph that we're dealing with today because this is the fifth in my estimation of six warnings in the book of hebrews and this warning is a warning against defecting uh, and the overarching word for all of the warnings that we've seen uh, throughout the book of Hebrews has to do with this idea of abandoning the, the, the truth of the gospel of Christ or, or rejecting this truth of the gospel of Christ. And so the overarching word that you can use for all of these um, warnings is the word apostasy. And so, you know, with that word, we have certain connotations that we already have in our mind related to the issue of apostasy. So that led to some questions, at least in my mind, is one, what is apostasy? And then two, uh, who can be an apostate? 
And so I did the normal thing that anyone would do. I just went to the Webster's Dictionary, Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, and looked up apostasy. Let's see what this English word apostasy uh, is defined as. And in the Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, the first definition that you'll see uh, related to apostasy is that it is an act of refusing to continue to follow, obey, or recognize a religious faith. And that fits quite well with the context which we have uh, in our text today. This has to do with those who are part of a, a religious uh, faith. I know people don't like to use the word religion as it relates to Christianity. The, the cliche we say, it's not religion, it's a relationship. Well, I uh, hate to disagree. It is a relationship, but it's also a religion. If you understand religion by definition, uh, we have a religious faith. And our faith is ultimately in Christ and our religious uh, beliefs are rooted in uh, the person of Christ and, and the word of Christ that we have in in the Bible. So apostasy is one who has adhered to at some point in time to, uh, in our context, the Christian faith, and then has abandoned that Christian faith. And so it can be a broader term. It could be someone who, who denies a, a political belief. They held one political belief and then they turned away from that political belief. It could be a broader term than that, but specific to us, it has to do with this idea of religious faith. And so how does that relate to Christianity? Well, there was a guy named Andy Nacelli who's written an article on uh, the Gospel Coalition's website, and it, he asked this question that we're asking, what is apostasy? And the secondary question is, uh, really, who can be an apostate, or can a Christian become an apostate? And here's his definition of apostasy. Apostasy is decisively turning away from the faith. An apostate is a person who once claimed to be a Christian, but has irreversibly abandoned and renounced Orthodox Christianity. And that's a very important phrase in this definition. And we see this kind of language also from Dr. Bob Utley, who has done a uh, commentary of sorts on uh, the book of Hebrews. And he defines this term apostasy in this way. This is a life or death warning, a once out, always out warning. Rejection of Jesus in the presence of the clear light of revelation produces the darkest possible spiritual night. So both of these guys, I think quite correctly, uh, grab the sentiment of this idea in in scripture and it kind of relates to uh, the warning we had in in chapter 5 through 6 when it deals with the idea of uh, their dullness of hearing and it dealt with the idea of of the hypothetical if someone could fall away then they would not be able to uh, come back to faith so there is a serious seriousness to this aspect of apostasy and I think the one who gets the closest to my understanding of who can become an apostate um, has it latent in this definition that he gives, or this at least statement he gives about apostasy, and that's Dr. Steve, Stephen Lawson. He makes this statement in relation to our text today about the concept of apostasy and whether or not a, a true believer can become an apostate. He says, apostasy is going to hell from the doorstep of heaven. And so that is to say, I think, 
that apostasy is one who was religious but lost. And I think that's his sentiment on the reality of apostasy. Apostasy is something that happens to a person who's not truly redeemed because I think there's an overwhelming preponderance of scriptural evidence that shows us that once we come to faith in Christ, that once we've been truly redeemed and regenerate, once we've been born again by the Holy Spirit of God, there's a there's a transformation that takes place. The old becomes new, uh, and God God gives us a heart transplant, and God has worked in us salvation. God has declared declared us sanctified, as we learn. Um, uh, a week or so ago. God's the one who's declared us sanctified and justified and glorified. So all of our salvation is accomplished in Christ. And Christ saved us and Christ keeps us saved. So the reality is a true believer will not become an apostate because they will persevere to the end. And that perseverance is evidence of their redemption. generative state, whereas those who fall away uh, are have a, and have abandoned the faith are not true tr- uh, Christians. They have they have this faith that is not, or this at least not faith necessarily, but they have this mental assent to the knowledge of the truth of the gospel that has not uh, transformed their lives in the sense of bringing about the new birth. And we'll see more about that as we go through our text today. And so, in order to get through this text, I think there are five questions that we're going to try to answer in light of the text that will help us understand this concept of apostasy. So, the first question is, what constitutes an apostate? The second question we're going to answer is, what are the consequences of apostasy? And then thirdly, we will a- answer the question, what is the contempt of apostasy? And then the fourth question we'll answer is, what con- who condemns, excuse me, who condemns the apostate? And then number five, what is the consequence of apostasy? So the first question, I think, what is what constitutes apostasy can be found in verse 26 in the first uh, a couple phrases in verse 26, and I'm going to take them in reverse order because I think that that is the order in which it takes place in the life of the apostate, and these things are fundamental to one be, being able to even become an apostate. And so what constitutes an apostate? First thing we need to understand is there has to be a full understanding of the gospel truth, and I think we see that in this passage, the second phrase in this passage says, after receiving the knowledge of the truth. And quite frankly, I think the word truth there is synonymous with the gospel in the context of the book of Hebrews, because this truth that the author of Hebrews has been meeting out has been the truth of the gospel of Christ and how he has accomplished once for all the redemptive work that God has been foreshadowing throughout history with the Levitical system. So first, in order for a person to be able to come to this place of apostasy, they first must have received the truth and the the knowledge of the truth. And the word uh, knowledge there, epigenosin, has to do with this idea of a precise 
exact knowledge. This is not some misunderstanding that they've, uh, they've adhered to as far as truth. This is the precise understanding of the knowledge of the truth of the gospel. And they have received it. They have latched on to it. They have laid hold to it, Labane. They have, they have grabbed hold of it. They've seized the knowledge of the truth. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it's brought about this redemptive work in their life, but they have, they have seen the truth. They've been made aware of the truth. They've sat under the truth. They may have even given mental assent to the fact that this is true. In, in other words, they may have began to walk the walk and to talk the talk, as it were, in, in, in relation to this issue of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the first thing that has to happen is they must understand the, the knowledge of the gospel of Christ, the true knowledge of the gospel of Christ. And the second thing that has to happen is in, found in the first phrase. And the Bible says, for if we go on sinning in the ESV deliberately, in other translations it may have willingly, and so there has to be this willing rejection of the truth of the gospel to which they had once assented to. And we don't catch it in the English because we it is translated in a way that makes sense to us. But in, in the Greek, the, the word for uh, willing or, or deliberate is, is brought all the way to the front of the sentence in, in, in the word order. And in, in usually when, when Greek writers do things like that, it has to do with emphasizing this particular aspect of the argument that they are making. So the most significant thing about the, uh, the act of apostasy is that after receiving this truth, they willingly with their own volition, no one's twisted their arm, no one's dragged them away, they willingly continue to sin. And of course, we know the immediate context of this is in light of the Jewish sacrificial system, because the author of Hebrews writing primarily to Jews is telling them the truth of the gospel, the truth of redemption is found in Christ. Christ has fulfilled Everything that the Old Testament was pointing to and all the sacrifices and all the, 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 the rituals that you went through, Christ has fulfilled everything God was pointing to. And that's why the author of Hebrews writes about this once for all sacrifice. That's why he tells us here uh, that there, is, there remains no other sacrifice for sin. Christ is it. So the context here is that these Jewish listeners would have heard the truth of the gospel and maybe had a mental assent to the truth of the gospel, but they abandoned that truth and went back to uh, Judaism. In our day, we won't go back to necessarily uh, as Gentiles uh, sacrificing animals, but we reject the gospel of Christ that we may have heard, and we try to get to God in our own way, or we reject uh, Christianity and religion uh, outright. That would be the act of willingly continuing to sin as it relates to apostasy today. So the question for you today is, Will you hear the gospel? You've been under the gospel. Have you believed the gospel? And has it come to the place where it has caused you to be regenerated, to be born again, to be changed forever by a holy God? If not, then you need to fall on your face today and you need to repent of your sin and you need to place your faith solely, wholly in the person of Jesus Christ as the redemptive uh, work of God was completed in 
in him. So that leads to question number two. Question number two is what are the consequences of apostasy? And so the consequences of apostasy are found in the last phrase in verse 26 and then in the, the remainder of it is in verse 27 and 28. So the last phrase we come to in verse 26 is there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. What are the consequences of apostasy? It's Christ or nothing. If you abandon the truth of the gospel of Christ, there is nothing else for you that would allow you to be made right with God. You cannot work your way there. You cannot follow the law to get there. It is Christ and Christ alone. And that's why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's why Jesus says, I am the door to the sheep. If you come into the sheepfold, it's because you come through the door of Jesus Christ. That's why the author of Hebrews consistently has been telling us Jesus has paid the once for all sacrifice for sin. It is Christ or nothing. There is no other name under heaven whereby men may be saved. So if you reject the truth of the gospel and become an apostate, there's nothing else left for you. The second thing is there's no escape from hell. The only expectation you can have in verse 27, the Bible says, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversary. And this relates to the aspect that judgment is coming. God is going to judge this world. You're either going to stand before him in judgment at your death and then stand before him in judgment at the resurrection uh, or when Christ comes again. You're going to stand before God in judgment. And those who have abandoned the truth of the gospel of Christ, there is nothing for you but to expect to stand in judgment before God. As I, After all, the author of Hebrews has already told us, it is appointed and a man wants to die, and after that, the judgment. And there is this fiery indignation of God. God's wrath is going to be poured out on those who have rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the only expect thing that you can expect if you abandon the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And look what this judgment is going to do. This judgment is going to consume the adversary. And that's what you and I need to understand. Before we come to the to the to faith in Jesus Christ, before we come to the knowledge of the gospel of Christ, we are enemies of God. We are the adversary of God, and we've lost that today in Christianity. We've lost that in our presentation of the gospel. We think we're just good old boys and good old girls who just need to have Jesus come along and smooth off the rough edges. No, we as human beings, because of our depravity, because of our sin nature that we inherited, that was imputed to us from Adam, we are enemies of God. We are the adversary of God. And when we refuse and continue to walk in this adversarial way uh, before God, we uh, will be consumed, as it were, by the wrath of God. And this consumption does not necessarily mean annihilation. It has to do with this uh, aspect of eternal punishment, this aspect of eternal hell. You're ever dying, but never dying. Why is it you think that those who are resurrected in the end, not only are the righteous resurrected, but the unrighteous are resurrected? Not only are the bodies of the righteous changed, but the bodies of the unrighteous are changed so that they can go through eternal 
eternal torment and they will never die there. As Jesus says, the fire never quenches and their worm dieth not. So there's no escape from hell for those who abandon the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is the only way. Then the third thing is there's no mercy in judgment. There's mercy in salvation. We don't deserve mercy. We deserve judgment. There's grace in salvation. We don't deserve grace. We deserve judgment. And the Lord tells us by using this example that the author of Hebrews puts before us in verse 28. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. He's saying, listen, even the old covenant had judgment, and that judgment was without mercy. How much more he's going to start in verse 29? Do you think the, the punishment of the one who, did, who rejects the gospel of Christ ought to be? In the shadow, in the foreshadowing of the Old Testament through the law, people died without mercy. How much more should people die and be judged without mercy because of their rejection of the full light of Jesus Christ? There is no mercy in judgment. And Jesus kind of reminds us of this. Don't be afraid of the one who can kill uh, the, the body only. Be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hellfire. And so there's no mercy in judgment. Those are the consequences of apostasy. You've rejected the only way that you can be made right with God. You will not escape the judgment of hell. And God is not going to give any mercy in that day of judgment. So the question you got to ask yourself again, have I truly come to faith in Jesus Christ? Am I just playing games? Have I just made a mental ascent? Am I just uh, going through the motions? Have I really been born again by the Spirit of God? If not, throw yourself on the mercy of Christ today, or you will suffer the consequences of your apostasy. <clears throat> All right, third question, what is the contempt of apostasy? And really, this is... Um, in verse, verse 29, here's the contempt of apostasy as this verse is laid out for us. And the Bible says, How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has outraged the Spirit of grace? And so, what is the contempt of apostasy? Well, the contempt of apostasy is that this person who has rejected this truth, the, the, I mean, this truth of Christ, the truth of the gospel first has rejected the person of Christ. In that phrase we saw that they have trampled underfoot the Son of God. And really what they're saying is kind of a euphemistic or figure of speech way of saying that they have counted the person of Christ as lower than the dust on the road that they trample on with their feet. It's the most egregious rejection uh, that they could give of the person of Jesus Christ. They have counted him as lower than the dust of the earth. The second aspect of this contempt and apostasy 
is they have not only rejected the person of Christ, Christ, they have also rejected the propitiatory work of Jesus Christ. Not only have they trampled underfoot the Son of God, but they have profaned the blood of the covenant. You remember Jesus talks about this. This is the blood of my covenant that brings in ultimately the new covenant. It is by his blood that the new covenant was brought in. Uh, it is by his blood that ultimate atonement was made on the mercy seat on our behalf. And so what these apostates have done, not only have they, they rejected the person of Christ, they've rejected the work of Christ, the propitiatory work of Christ, the shedding of his blood. They've counted his blood as worthless, as it were. They've counted his blood as less important than the blood of bulls and goats. They have, they have said that bulls and goats are more important and more sanctified than the second person of the Trinity. They have, they have thumbed their nose in the face of God in rejecting the work of Christ and in inaugurating this new covenant in his blood. And they have counted it a common thing. They have profaned it, if you will. So these apostates have have trampled underfoot the person of God. They've trampled underfoot the, per the work of, of, of Christ. And they have rejected, finally, the persuading witness of the Holy Spirit. So they've trampled underfoot the Son of God. They have profaned the blood of the covenant. And they have outraged the Spirit of grace. And again, it has to do with this, uh, the, the word behind uh, the, the English word outrage, the Greek word behind the English word outrage is, is one where we get the idea of hubris, uh, if you will, and, and it's transliterated almost uh, that way. It comes from that root word, this hubris, this prideful insulting of the Holy Spirit. And I couldn't help but think of Isaiah 14, who is the epitome of prideful hubris as it relates to God. And that's Satan. Many people believe Isaiah 14 talks about the fall of Satan and how he had this eye problem of all the things he would do. He's going to ascend up uh, to the highest place above, above the Lord. And so they have outraged the work of the Spirit. They've insulted the Holy Spirit by rejecting uh, the drawing and wooing of the Spirit to bring them the faith. In Almighty Christ, it almost sounds like what we hear about in the Gospels. As a matter of fact, in, in Luke chapter 12, verse 10, the Bible says, And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not, will not be forgiven. And I know the context there is that Jesus was performing these miracles to validate who he was, the Son of God. And the religious leaders of that day were claiming that Christ was performing these miracles by the hand of Satan, uh, Beelzebub, uh, and rather than the Holy Spirit. And so in that way, they insulted the work of the Holy Spirit. They blasphemed the work of the Holy Spirit, accrediting, accrediting it to Satan. Well, in some ways, I believe there's a kinship between those passages because the person who, who rejects the gospel of Christ, they trample underfoot the Son of God, they profane the blood of Jesus Christ, and they outrage and, and insult the work of the Holy Spirit. So it is to say today, what about you? 
you've heard the gospel truth. Have you accepted that truth? Are you among those who are trampling underfoot the Son of God, who are profaning the blood of the covenant and insulting the Spirit of grace by trying to come to God in a way other than Jesus Christ or by outright abandoning God? Well, remember our previous section. If you do that, the only expectation for you is fiery indignation of God's judgment that will be poured out upon you if you die in this state. Well, that leads to question number four. Who is the one who condemns the apostate? And that's a good question because, you know, while I can look at people's lives and I can see fruit of their lives and I can make judgment calls in this, in this way that, hey, they claim to be a follower of Christ, but their life is not depicting that they have been redeemed by Christ because they're living like the world while claiming to be a Christian. Now, I can make some judgment calls that way, but I can't ultimately look into a person's heart and know for certain whether they've come to faith in Christ or whether they hadn't. But God can. God is the judge of all of the earth. God is the judge of all of humanity. So it is God who will judge them. Our role is to point them always and ever to the truth of the gospel of Christ and trust God to do what only God can do. And that's bring them to redemptive faith in Jesus Christ. So we see the answer to this question in verse 30. In verse 30, the Bible says, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. And so this is obviously a quote from Deuteronomy 32, 35 through 36. Uh, and, uh, and this is a quote from the Septuagint, the, the Greek translation of the, of the Old Testament. And incidentally, uh, most of the quotes from the Old Testament that we find in the New Testament come from the Septuagint. And so it gives evidence to the fact that the, that the, the first century believers in Christ uh, and many Jews even used the Septuagint at that time as their as their Bible. And so we see a couple things about who condemns this apostate. One, it is Yahweh who does the condemnation. We know this verse is talking about Yahweh. If you go to the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 32, 35 through 36, it, for we know him who said. Well, who is it who said? Well, Yahweh is the one who is saying this. God the Father is the one who is saying this. Vengeance is mine. Yahweh repays uh, he says, is his and his alone, and he will repay. It kind of reminds me of the prayer of the saints that were under the altar in Revelation whenever they had been martyred uh, because of their faith. They asked the Lord, how long before you vindicate us? And of course, so the Lord is the one who brings ultimate vindication. And then we have a little bit of a difference here from the Septuagint and the Hebrew text because the Septuagint reads, the Lord will judge his uh, people. Whereas the idea in the old, uh, in the Hebrew is that the Lord will vindicate uh, his people. And so I take it this way in reading this text that obviously if you look at it here, you could make the argument that he's talking about true believers who have made uh, uh, an apostasy of themselves, apostated themselves by rejecting the truth of the gospel. Well, my argument's been throughout this passage that only those, uh, if they're a true believer, they cannot commit this sin of apostasy because their lives have been transformed and the evidence of their persevering and their walking in faith and their walking in righteousness is evidence that they have come to faith in Jesus Christ. I believe 
what this passage ultimately is saying, and again, th- this is this is my personal understanding of this text, that the Lord is going to judge between people who is His. I can't do that judging. Only God can judge between His people who is His person and who is an apostate and who is a fake or who is one who has abandoned Him. God will. And if you take the Hebrew, uh, then the idea is the same. God's going to ultimately vindicate uh, His people even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of their uh, faithfulness whenever they are treated unjustly because of their walk with the Lord God. Ultimately, it's the one that's going to bring vindication by separating the sheep from the goat, those who are his people and those who are not his people. And he will uh, he will bring judgment upon those who are not his people, and he will bring his people into his, his fold. And so that leads to the last question, uh, which is in verse 31. What is the consequence of apostasy? Well, the consequence of apostasy is this, and we really already alluded to it. Uh, the only expectation you have is the fury of fire, remember, uh, that will consume the adversary. Well, he kind of reiterates that thought here. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You and I need to understand those who reject the gospel of Jesus Christ will fall into the hands of the living God. And of course, we know this is an anthropomorphic understanding of God the Father. He has no hands. Um, Christ Jesus, the representation of God on earth in the flesh, obviously does have hands in the human body, but the sentiment is that you will fall into the judgment of the Lord if you will reject the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that is not something to yuck it up about. You know, a lot of people say, hey, I know I'm going to go to hell, and all my friends are going to have a party when we're there. Well, no, uh, there's not going to be in parties any parties in the place called hell. There's going to be eternal judgment by Almighty God. And you need to understand, one, it is God who's bringing the judgment because whose hands does it say we fall into, that the apostate falls into? The hands of God. And secondly, the the word living just jumps off the page because that's why judgment is eternal because our sin is against a living, eternal God. So we're going to fall, those who are, are apostates are going to fall into the hands of the living, eternal God and he will eternally punish them for their sin. There is going to be no ending to the punishment that will come to those who have rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, you and I need to understand the judgment's coming. There's only one way to be made right with God. There's only one way for us to stand in that judgment, and that is by coming into a faith relationship with Jesus Christ, repenting of our sin, placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And Philip Hughes has put it this way in his commentary on Hebrews in in relation to escaping uh, this judgment as it relates to the apostate. Here, here's, the, here's what really happens to the apostate uh, in, relate, in relation to this text that we have, we have read. And Philip Hughes puts it this way, So far from escaping from God, the apostate falls into the hands of the living God. He abandons God as his Savior only to meet him as his judge. And so the question for you is, have you met God today as Savior, or will you meet him as judge? 
You need to decide. You need to, you need to come to the place in your life where you have repented of your sin and placed your faith in Jesus Christ. And I wanted to end with this uh, uh, quote here by Jonathan Edwards. This is actually a couple of quotes by Jonathan Ed Edwards, a little bit lengthy, but this, this comes from his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And you need to go and read that entire sermon if you've never read it. But hear what Jonathan Edwards says in relation to the fact of the judgment of God and the condition of the apostate and the condition of all of those who have not come to faith in Jesus Christ. He says, O sinner, consider the fearful danger you are in. It is a great furnace of wrath, a wide and bottomless pit, full of the fire of wrath that you are held over in the hand of that God, whose wrath is provoked and incensed as much against you as against many of the damned in hell. You hang by a slender thread with the flames of divine wrath flashing about it and ready every moment to singe it and burn it asunder. And you have no interest in any mediator and nothing to lay hold of to save yourselves, nothing to keep off the flames of wrath, nothing of your own, nothing that you ever have done, nothing that you can do to induce God to spare you one moment. That is the danger in which those who are unregenerate live every day of their life. It parallels John's gospel in John chapter 3 verse 36. If you have not believed, the wrath of God abides on you right now in this moment and you are hanging by a thread over the pit of hell with the flames of hell lashing about that thread to burn it asunder and you fall into the hands of the living God and are punished for all of eternity because of your rebellion against Him. But it doesn't have to end that way. Listen to how Jonathan Edwards concludes part of this sermon. He says, And now you have an extraordinary opportunity, a day wherein Christ has thrown the door of mercy wide open, and stands in calling and crying with a loud voice to poor sinners, repent and believe the gospel. That's my addition to this. That was the first sentence uh, I, I, that we have recorded about Jesus in his ministry in Mark chapter 1. Repent and believe the gospel. That's your only hope. If you've heard the truth, Repent and believe, and you will escape the judgment of God that is coming, and you will escape the fires of hell that are awaiting those who choose to die in their sin and in their rebellion. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Use your word to draw men and women to Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.